Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Good morning, Legacy. How are we doing today? Yeah, there we go. All right. You know me. I like to hear y'all vocal, so don't be scared to answer. All right. I promise nothing crazy today. I promise. All right. Oh, man. Well, good deal. Thank you for being here this morning for worship. Man, wasn't the worship team just awesome? Yeah. Yeah. I think week in and week out, man, they just absolutely crush it every, every single week. Well, hey, if this is your first Sunday with us, or maybe you've missed some of this summer, my name is Brandon. I'm the student pastor here at Legacy. Uh, and again, we are happy and excited that you have chosen to be with us today in worship. We have been studying this new series called Songs of Zion, where we've been uh, digging into the book of Psalms and talking about what is the mountain of Zion, what is God's dwelling place, right? And really kind of taking a deep dive uh, into how good our God is, right? How awesome our God is, that he is our present help and our present, uh, our our peace and our hope, and that through our salvation in Jesus, man, we have direct access to God. Uh, And so this morning, we're going to dive back into that. Uh, But before I get started, how many of y'all have ever watched a YouTube video before? Yeah? How many of y'all love it when an advertisement pops up right as you start a YouTube video? All right, well, y'all are going to have to bear with me this morning because I'm going to sharp turn and do a student ministry ad for just a second. And there's no skip ad button in church, so you just have to live with it. So, hey, uh, no, really and truly, we've had an awesome summer with uh, Legacy students. We've seen students give their life to Christ for the first time. We've seen students rededicate their life. Uh, We've seen new and old faces come, and we've seen huge crowds of students coming to learn more about Jesus and to grow in their faith. And it has been absolutely incredible uh, to be a part of what God is doing here at this church. Uh, And so I just want to encourage you, if you have a student 6th through 12th grade, uh, or if you are a student 6th through 12th grade, I want to encourage you this morning uh, to be a part of what God is doing here with Legacy students. Every Sunday night, uh, we meet for student worship just right across in Legacy Hall um, from 530 to 730. We have a student worship band that leads our time of worship. Uh, we have a time of teaching. We've got games. We've got free t-shirts. Who doesn't love a free t-shirt? Like that's the best part of student ministry, if you ask me, is the free stuff. Um, and Jesus is part of that. You get Jesus for free, uh, but you also get a t-shirt. Um, so uh, Sunday nights at 530 to 730. Make sure y'all are here for that. And then this summer on Wednesday nights, we've been doing uh, something that we've been calling summer midweek. Uh, this has been honestly my favorite part of this entire summer. Uh, we've been hanging out at, out back behind the church building, playing sand volleyball and spike ball. Uh, We've had free food. We've had giveaways. We had a snow cone truck come a couple weeks ago. Uh, And this coming Wednesday, we've got a live DJ that's going to set up and have music for us and more free food. Uh, And so come on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8.30. It has been just an absolutely incredible time. But I think I went over my YouTube ad time video. So uh, I'm going to jump back into the sermon this morning. But again, God's doing awesome stuff in student ministry. So Be a part of it if you have a student or if you are a student. Uh, But today, like I said, we're in this uh, series, Songs of Zion, uh, and today we're going to be looking at Psalm uh, chapter 20. So if you want to grab your Bibles and flip over to Psalm 20, it'll also be on the screen uh, behind me as well. Psalm 20, uh, right under the heading, it says a Psalm of David. And so that means it is either written by David or some people think that it was a prayer written for David by the people around him, praying for the King of Israel, that he would experience success, that he would experience um, all that God has for for him. And so we're going to jump right in because Psalm 20, it's really short, but there's a lot of great content in there this morning that I think kind of builds upon itself as we go. Uh, And so we're going to start off right on uh, verse 1 of Psalm 20. Psalm 20, verse 1. 
It says, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress, and may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. Ooh, keyword Zion. There you go. That's the whole series. Uh, now, we're going to stop right there after those first two verses. I know we just started. We just read the first two, um, but I th- already see something that jumps out. Uh, and honestly, the first point is a little depressing. So just bear with me, okay? You will experience distress in your life. Oh, we're not off to a great start this morning. All right, yeah. You will experience distress in your life, but it's okay because God is with you in your distress, right? So the psalm was either written by David or it was written for David. So if David is the focal point of our psalm today, I think looking at a little bit of backstory of David will kind of put some of this in context for us, right? And so let's remember David for a moment. moment. Let's look at David's life. When we think of David and we think of King David, what do we think about typically? Think about the high moments, right? We think about the hero moments where, where David is larger than life. We think about uh, the young boy who was called out to be king, right? We think about the young boy who walked out with a couple of stones and a slingshot and kills the, the enemy of God's people, uh, the giant Goliath, right? And we think about this king that goes on and God calls him a, a, literally a man after God's own heart, to be called by God a man after God's own heart. Like we like to think of the high moments in David's life. And I think often we tend to overlook a lot of the life that happens in between those moments. There's a lot of life that happens leading up to Goliath. And there's a lot of life that happens between when David is called to be king and when he actually becomes king. And there's a lot of distress and a lot of hardship that happens after that as well, right? He's called out to be king, but his kind of surrogate father, the current king of the day, Saul, wants to kill him, right? And so David spends many years literally on the run for his life, running away, trying to just stay alive, right? Um, If you keep reading in the Old Testament, David goes out and works for other nations around, not even a part of God's people, but works for other nations as kind of like a mercenary or a sword for hire, again, still on the run for his life, just trying to make it by, right? David's best friend at a young age is killed brutally in battle, and he has to deal with that loss, right? We talked about it a couple of series ago uh, in the tale of three kings that even when David becomes king and he begins to have a family and begins to have kids, one of his sons grows up and tries to kill David and tries to take over the kingdom from him, right? And then we all know the story that David goes out and kills a guy and steals his wife, right? And so David experiences a lot of distress, a lot of discomfort, right? He experiences a lot of hardship that is in his life. He's constantly facing temptation from an internal, but also an external source, right? He's experiencing all of these things that brings him back into dark and low places, places that are far away from God, and he faces all of this times of distress. And you may be wondering, well, So other parts of the Bible tell me I'm supposed to have a good life, right? A verse that you probably know by heart because it's stitched on a pillow in your house or written on a picture frame in your grandmother's house, that Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's like, okay, wait a minute. If Psalm 20 tells me I'm going to have distress in my life, then why is Jeremiah 29 telling me that I'm supposed to prosper? I'm supposed to succeed. God wants me to have an easy and a good life, right? That's what God wants for me. But have you read all of chapter 29 in Jeremiah? Have you read a little bit further? God is telling these things to the people of Israel after he has banished them into exile. If you keep reading Jeremiah 29, 14, it says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Like, all right, I will be found by you. See, that's what I'm talking about. I'm supposed to succeed in life. 
after I bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from the nations and places. Like, all right, see, we're back. We're back into the good. From the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God is saying, I will be found by you when I bring you back from hardship, when I bring you back from captivity, when I bring you back from the distress that you're going to experience in your life. And I will gather you from the places that I banished you so that you could understand how good I am and how gracious I am and how much mercy I have for you. And I will bring you back after you've been carried into exile for disobedience and for walking your own path. Y'all, our life is not a joke. We are going to experience distress in life. We are going to experience hardship in life. But it's okay because we have the same thing that David does. is We have the hope that God is always with us in our distress, right? David constantly goes back to God. Even when he experiences all of the bad stuff of life, he goes back to God and he admits where he failed. He admits where he was wrong. He goes back to God and he worships God. Even in, even in his distress and hardship, he worships God and asks him for forgiveness because ultimately he knows where his help comes from and it's from God. He knows that no matter what he experiences or how many times he fails God or whatever he could end up facing in this life, he knows that he has a place to go back and draw strength from, and that's from God. All right, let's jump back in. Psalm 20, uh, verse 3. It says, May he remember all of your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. Uh, If you'll pause for a second after verse 3, your version may or may not have it. My version does. It has the word selah. S-E-L-A-H, Selah. I think I'm saying that right, Greek, Greek guys. I don't yeah, okay. Uh, Selah, it's widely unknown what that means. A lot of people think that that means like, kind of like saying amen, right? Like a, a period at the end of the sentence, like we say on, on Sunday mornings, if you like something, like amen, right? Personally, I think it's actually Hebrew for jalapeno, um, which hopefully we all know by now what that means. If you don't, if you never heard that, jalapeno is just an amen with a little Texas spice to it. So this is like the Hebrews author is saying like jalapeno after that, right? Uh, or if you'd rather, I think is what he's really saying is salapeno, right? Salapeno, right? Okay, I think we should all say that together, all right? On the count of three, one, two, three, we're going to say jalapeno, uh, salapeno. I'm already getting it wrong. One, two, three. Salapino. There you go. You learned Greek today or Hebrew or something. Uh, No. uh, (laughs) uh, Let's jump back in. uh, Verse 4. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of God. May the Lord grant all of your requests. All right, let's pause again, right? First thing that we talked about is that you're going to experience distress in your life. But it's okay because God is with you in your distress. And so the second thing I see from these next couple of verses today is that we have to seek out God because he is our help. All right? We're going to experience distress, but God is always with us in our distress. So we need to seek out God because he is our help in times of distress. It's, it's very interesting. If you go back and look at the Old Testament, if you read through the history uh, of the different kings that ruled over Israel and Judah, you can tell very quickly which kings and which kingdoms followed after God and the ones that didn't. Mostly because it will tell you right at the beginning of their section, this king did not follow God and he experienced great distress, right? Uh, but you can tell very quickly the kings that followed after God because they had something in common. Is before they would do anything or before they would go out in battle or go out to war, Uh, or go out looking for a fight, they would always go to God first. 
Right? They would go to God in his temple or to Mount Zion and they would pray and they would worship and they would offer sacrifices and they would say, God, should we go out to war right now or should we stay home? What is it that your will is for us? And they would ask for God's wisdom, right? They would go to God and look for what he wanted them to do long before they would ever pick up a sword. And David made a habit of this as well. He would seek God before he would seek out a fight. And I didn't put that in the sermon slides, but I think y'all need to write that down because if that doesn't preach, I don't know what will. We need to seek out God before we seek out the fight. We need to seek out God before we seek out the fight. And through that, often God would bless David. God would bless the kings in the Old Testament when they would seek him out first and foremost. God would then bless their steps and say, hey, you can go out because I've already gone out before you. This battle belongs to me, and so I go out before you. And often those kings would experience great success and experience great wealth and prosperity in their times because they followed after God and they sought after God's wisdom. But you also had the flip side at play as the kings that didn't follow after God, and they went out and just did whatever they wanted to, right? They would go out into battle without a second thought, or they would go and set up idols to false gods and temples uh, to things that weren't true. And more often than not, they would all experience defeat. They would go out into battle and they would be killed in battle. And their cities would be overrun and plundered. And their people would be carried off into exile because they didn't follow after God. And so what you have here in verse 3, 4, and 5 are the people praying and worshiping to God. They're coming to God in his holy dwelling of Zion and asking for his favor, asking for his will and for his wisdom. They're essentially worshiping God and saying, God, will you remember our worship and sacrifices? Will you remember the fact that we have come to you looking for your guidance on what it is that you want us to do? May you bless the king of Israel and all of his battle plans. May you give David, King David, the, ba- uh, the desires of his heart and that his battle plans would succeed. Verse 5 says, we hope we get to lift up victory banners, God, because we want to go out and tell everyone else around us about how awesome you are because the battle belongs to you, right? And I think there's something very important that we can't miss here in this statement of them going to God and worshiping him before they look for a fight. Notice the author does not say, hey, we're going to be successful. Hey, David, go out and do whatever you want to do because no matter what, it's going to work out in our favor, right? No, he says, may God grant your request. May God grant the request that we seek of him. May God gift you the desires of your heart. It's a gift from God to see God's favor, right? And history shows us, if you read through your Bible, the Bible tells us that when we seek after God and we get closer to God, God does give us the desires of our heart, Because ultimately, the closer you get to God, the more you learn about God, the more you seek after God's will, the desires of your heart become God. Your desire is to be with God. And so God's going to give you those desires because God gives himself freely to us when we seek after him. Jesus goes on in the New Testament to tell us in Matthew chapter 6, Uh, Verse 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek God first, and he'll take care of all the other stuff. God will work out all of the other details if you seek after God first. If you make him the desire of your heart, if you make him your priority in life, God will go out before you because he is our help in times of struggle, in times of distress. He is our help when we go out to face this battle. We have to seek God out because he is our help, 
But ultimately, if we go out into battle, if we go out into this life without God, we will fail. We cannot go out before God because just like the kings in the Old Testament that do the same thing, we will fail. We will not succeed, right? We cannot go into this life or we cannot go into this battle that we face without God because we will fail. It's a very simple concept. God is the most important thing in our life. Our relationship with Jesus is the most important thing that any of us can ever put any effort into. And if we go out into this life without chasing after God, first and foremost, we are destined to fail. Picking back up in uh, verse 6 of chapter 20, it says, Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king and answer us when we call. So these next couple of verses, the next thing I see here really comes from verse 6, that he answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Y'all, he answers us from heaven with his victorious power. That means that God already has the victory. God already has the victory, right? We're going to experience distress in this life, but it's okay because God is with us. So we need to seek him out because he is our help in times of distress, our help in times of trouble, because God ultimately already has the victory. How many of y'all are football fans? Yeah? How many of y'all watch uh, professional football, NFL? Yeah? Somebody shout out your favorite team. Amen, brother. That's all that I, we're going to stop it after that one because that's the best one. So, yeah. No, uh, if, if you watch football or even if you don't, you might, uh, how many of y'all watched the Super Bowl last, last year? Yeah? All right. So most of you probably know the storylines that were kind of leading up into the Super Bowl, right? On one side, on one team, you've got a guy uh, named Tom Brady, who Kevin mentioned last week, and by the way, is way more of a goat than Aaron Rodgers. I'm sorry. Personally, there we go. Personally, I was super offended by that because Dak Prescott is better than both of them. So um, Cowboys all the way, Super Bowl 2022. Um, no, uh, <laughs> sorry, sidetrack, rabbit trail. Um, bring it back. Tom Brady on one side, right? He'd won multiple championships with the same team, the same coach. Uh, a lot of people gave his credit and his success to his coach and to the team and the way they were run. And so he goes out and he finds himself a new team to go out and prove himself. A new team, new players, new teammates, new coaches, new owner, all of that stuff. He goes out to prove himself that he can win without everybody else. That the reason that he has championships was because of him. Right? And they make it all the way to the Super Bowl. And now he is literally fighting to prove himself that he is a champion no matter where he is. And on the other side, you've got a guy named Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chief. I'll calm down. Calm down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like Patrick Mahomes. He's a good dude. So you have Patrick Mahomes. You have got the young gun. Honestly, one of the best quarterbacks that is playing football right now. And they had just won the Super Bowl the year before. And so he's coming back looking to make a statement with back-to-back -back championships, right? Like he's looking to prove to everybody, hey, I'm one of the greatest that has ever played this game. And so you have huge storylines. It's, it's shaping up to be an absolutely incredible game. Two great quarterbacks, two great teams going up against each other. Um, it was looking like it was going to be an incredible showdown. But from the very first minute, 
it was anything but, right? If you watch the Super Bowl, you kind of know what I'm talking about. From the very first minute, you could tell that one team already knew what the outcome was going to be, right? They already knew. The Buccaneers, the team with Tom Brady, kind of seemed like they already knew what all of the plays were going to be run, and they knew exactly where the ball was going to be thrown. And you Tom Brady haters, calm down. They didn't cheat. But uh, like, it seemed like what they, they knew from the very get-go that they had already won the game, right? And you could tell by watching the game, even Patrick Mahomes, as good as he was, was literally running for his life, trying to make anything happen. There was one point where he literally dove and was completely horizontal to the ground and threw it like 20 or 30 yards. Like he was literally doing everything in his power he could to keep his team in the game. But they had already lost from the very minute that they stepped foot on the field. And again, I don't think the Buccaneers cheated to win, but what I think they had was a, a uncomparable confidence when they set foot into that game. They walked out on the field knowing this is our game. This is our game to win and nobody else has anything to say about it. They walked out on the field with like this sense of swagger, right? And because they had that confidence, they were able to take chances that ended up paying off and gave their team the victory, right? If you are sitting in this room or if you are sitting in your living room watching online this morning, and you are a born-again relationship with Jesus Christ, Bible-believing Christian, y'all, you have already won the game, right? You have already won. And why is that? Because God already won. God already has the victory. Look again at verse 6. It says that God answers us from his victorious right hand. Not just his hands that are powerful and mighty, but the hands that already hold the victory inside them. And because of that, his hands are victorious. He's already won the victory. Verse 7, some other people can trust in their own power. They can trust in their horses and chariots. But y'all, they aren't playing with the victory confidence that we're playing with, right? That only comes from God. We're playing with that holy mountain of Zion, already won the game, confidence in life. And so because of that, we can rejoice. Verse 8, we can rise and we can stand firm because God has already won the victory. Y'all, we don't have to fear, we don't have to be afraid of the struggles and the hardships that we're going to face in life because God ultimately already has the victory in hand. And how did he win, you ask? Well, even in the psalm hundreds of years ago, they're already foretelling the salvation that is going to come through God's salvation from Mount Zion itself, God's salvation through Jesus. God sends his son, Jesus, to step into the game to save us. And the best part is, Jesus doesn't step into the game to prove himself, right? He doesn't step into the game to see what the outcome will be. Jesus steps into the game because of us and for us, because he loves us and ultimately wants to be with us. Y'all, the minute Jesus steps into the game, the story's over. The victory has already been won. The game is over, right? He steps into our life. He steps into this world to break the chains that are around us so that we have access back to God. Jesus was and is and always will be our victory in this life. And so there's something really cool at play here I see in Psalm 20 in these, these short nine verses uh, that you might have noticed and you might have not. Uh, but as I was prepping for this morning and looking through my notes, I, I noticed this pattern that begins to develop throughout Psalm 20. Uh, and so I want to take it back, if you will, for just a second to the very beginning, okay? You are going to experience distress in your life at some point. But it's okay because God is with you in your distress. 
And because God is with you in your distress, then we return our sacrifices and our offerings. We return our acts of worship to God and we seek him out so that we have insight into what he is doing in our life. And when we sync up with God, when we seek after his will and we begin to see what God is doing, we realize that God already has the victory in hand. He's already won the battle through our salvation in Jesus. Now look at this. I think the pattern becomes cyclical, which is a really hard word to say, and it's an even harder word to type into Microsoft Word. Like, it kept autocorrecting to Popsicle. Uh, I don't know what that says about my search history, but, uh, like, um, like, it kept autocorrecting to Popsicle, side note. But I think, I think the pattern is cyclical. It becomes like this circular motion, right? Um, keep with me for a second. We experience distress in our life, but it's okay because God is with us. So we seek him out and we worship him because he is our help. And ultimately, we realize that God has the victory in this life. And because God has the victory in this life, we then go to him with thankfulness and worship him for who he is because we realize that God is always with us no matter what. Do y'all see the pattern at play here? Do y'all see it? Because if you, if, you, if you miss it, you can miss it really easily. It's really easy to overlook. God is with you in your times of distress. So seek him out and worship him because you need to know that God has the victory in your life. And because God has the victory in, his li- in your life, we need to seek him out and worship him because God is always with you no matter what you face. Right? I remember talking this out with Natalie in the car one day and just being so excited about how this pattern kind of forms in this psalm and the encouragement and hope that I feel like we can draw from it. Because ultimately, I think so often we get stuck on one point or the other. We get stuck and everything is not going our way. We experience that distress or anxiety or frustration in our life. And, and we get stuck inside of it. Or even in open rebellion, we kind of turn our back on God and we try to go out our own way and we forget that our God is for us and that our God is with us and that God is literally sitting there waiting on us to come back to him with our worship and sync up with him. Or everything is going our way, nothing is going wrong and everything's going our way and we kind of forget the presence of God in our life. We forget that we have this open line of communication to go to God with our plans and with our thoughts. And we can say, God, is this in line with what your will is for our life? And we get completely out of sync with God. And it seems like every time I get up here to preach, I end up preaching it myself. So self-inflicting conviction here. How often do we forget that God already has the victory in hand? How often do we turn on the news or open up social media on our phone and see everything that is going wrong with our world and immediately think, man, you know what, there's no hope left. There's no hope left and there's just, there's no point in doing anything anymore because there's just, there's nothing left in our world. There's nothing left to go right, right? How often do we shovel the power out of God's hands and try to put it back into the sin in our lives? Y'all, have we forgotten that God already has the victory? Have we forgotten that Jesus already has the victory, that Jesus has already beaten death, that Jesus has already beaten our insecurities, 
that Jesus has already won over our frustrations, that Jesus has already won over our exile from God, that Jesus has already won over our anxieties, over the hardships, over the distress in our life? Have we forgot that Jesus already beat death and sin itself? then why are we shoveling the power out of God's hand, the victory out of God's hand, and putting it back into the junk in our life? Y'all, when we do that, we miss this pattern that God sets up for us, that God is always with us no matter what. And so we need to worship him and seek him out because ultimately the victory already belongs to God. And because the victory belongs to him, we worship him in thankfulness and joy and excitement because we know that our God, that Jesus is with us every moment of every day, no matter what we face, no matter what hardship, frustration, anxiety, no matter what distress, no matter what we face, our God, our Jesus is with us. Somebody say, say Lapino. Like, I'm getting like, hyped up up here. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, but no, like... Y'all, don't miss this. Don't miss this pattern. Don't miss what God is trying to tell you. He is with you. So seek him out because the victory belongs to him and not to anybody else. So seek him out because he's already with you. Y'all, verse 5, may we shout for joy over your victory, God, and lift up our banners in the name of our God. Y'all, God is a good God. Amen. Say La Pino, whatever. Uh, we, learned, we talked about it last week, man. God is a great God. So let us shout his praises. Let us lift up banners in his name and tell this world where their hope is and the salvation that comes only through Jesus. Y'all, God is with you. So worship him because the victory is his. And because the victory is his, worship Jesus with everything you have and never forget that he is always, always with you. Let's make that our prayer this morning. Y'all pray with me. God, we come before you today um, humbled and thankful, God, that you are just so great. That even in our worst days, God, that you come to us and that you offer us salvation through Jesus so that we have direct access to you, God, and that you love us in spite of us sometimes. God, help us never to forget that no matter what we face in this life, no matter what struggles or trouble or hardship, God, that you're always with us. Bring us to that moment. Bring us to that heart of worship, God, that we put our focus And we put all of our attention on you. And God, help us to rejoice in the fact that through Jesus, you have already won. Help us not to forget that fact or steer away from that fact. God, help us to keep everything on your victory, on your grace, on your mercy, and on your salvation. We love you, God, and we thank you so much for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.